creepies and crawlies. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we dig up the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Mary Johnston, and with me, decked out in his shortest short shorts and thigh holsters, is my favorite little tomb raider, my brother Thomas Johnston. How are you? Pachoo, pachoo. Doing great, Mary. I'm ready to raid some tombs and, uh, oh God, I got nothing. We're so awkward at this. This is the most awkward part of the show. I think it's okay. It's fine. It's charming. It's our, I it's did our a DIY good part. aesthetic. I did a good part. I feel like Tomb Raider. <laughs> I was you're good. Like, you're like, I did a good job, Thomas. I did a good job. Hmm. Um, are you joking me right now? Are you joking I, me? Are you really? Joking? Really? 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 So today we are talking about episode six of season two, um, and it's called The Thing from the Grave. And I'm going to give you a brief synopsis, just like we always do. Business is huge. So settle down, settle down. Guys, don't worry. We're not doing anything crazy here. Um, I know that you thought you were like, wow, Mary and Thomas are singing the theme song quite poorly. Are we in for something new? No, no, no. This is one of those loosey goosey episodes. <laughs> we've all it's a part of the wedding. We were, we've all taken off our ties. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, so this episode is about a model's abusive Agent slash boyfriend, nothing should chill you more than that slash combination, um, who has decided to take his jealousy and his ownership of this woman to the next level by basically unceremoniously murdering any other man in her life uh, in a woods and then burying them in a pretty shallow grave. (laughs) But, you know, love, just like nature, tends to find a way even if it has to push through three feet of topsoil first. <laughs> um, so who, who, who are the, uh, who are the principals in this, in this picture, in this episode? So this was directed and written by Fred Decker. That's D E double K E R, which makes him seem like a comic book character or like Legion of superheroes or like someone who's going to um, like help the guy in Blade Runner like buy some bullets or something, or but... like the guy's brother in Blade Runner. Who's <laughs> I know. I also as I, named as I was Decker. Like, oh, his name is Decker. Yeah. yeah. No, but anyway. of, of okay. the Blade Runners. <laughs> of the Blade Runner Deckers. Oh. Dial your mood organ. What's some Buster friendly? Anyway, this guy. Um, <clears throat> he wrote five episodes of TFTC. Um, um, he wrote and all through the house. He wrote only sin deep. Um, and then he's written, yeah, he's written, he's written, uh, some more episodes that we have not yet spoken about. He also wrote and directed Monster Squad. You ever see this one, Ray? This is a great oh, 80s nostalgic movie where yes. the kids call the army and the army shows up. Awesome. Unfortunately, I tried to watch Monster Squad eh, maybe like two, three years ago. And unfortunately, in the very, like, I would say within the first 15 minutes, a kid is just dropping like deeply homophobic <laughs> slurs. And I was like, I can't continue. <laughs> it's not like I realized I could probably yeah, push Mary, through. Maybe we like Monster Squad canceled. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was probably, I just don't, you know, some things are just not, not worth it. You know? Yeah. No, I, yes. Yes. Um, anyway, he also directed RoboCop three you know the bad one um who uh and this is this is a through line that i will pursue robocop three the female lead in that was jill hennessy who is the star of crossing jordan just keep that in your brain piece Got it. he also um worked on the predator not arnie's predator but the predator the 2018 um uh sort of relaunch reboot sort of sequel thing uh, which i i understand is good but i have not seen and he also did some work on star trek enterprise Moving on to the cast. Um, Wait, have, Star Trek Enterprise? The one yeah. that's like Joss Whedon-y? Yeah, the best one. Yeah, yeah, the main one, right? The one that's with the one. Uh, the, the one with uh, with the back in it? With the back yeah, attack? The, the one that has uh, the one with, you know, like Odo and uh, Spock and <laughs> Dr. Beverly Crusher and Riker, right? Isn't that the one? Oh. Yeah, whatever. You know, the one with Obi-Wan in it. May yeah. the force be with you. Yeah. That's what Captain Kirk always says. Sure. Gene Luke Pickard. No. Okay. Anyway, moving he's on. Like, the cast. The, <laughs> he's like dark side, hot. Anyway, 
carry on. <laughs> keeping with um, keeping with things to cross off on the bingo sheet. Let's be real. This is really cast wise. This is really just a two hander because there's, <laughs> there's Miguel Ferrer as Mitch Bruckner. Um, and this is this guy is, of course, the the crabby, the crabby, uh, the crabby, I guess, from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. He's also in Robocop. He was in Traffic. He was in Crossing Jordan. Mm. Uh, he's also George Clooney's cousin and was buddies with Carrie Fisher. And uh, apparently, according to to IMDb, helped prep her for episode four, which means they were friends like back in the day. He huh. also... R.I.P. died of throat cancer um, the day after my birthday in 2017. Um, and then, of course, um, in all of her 90s glory, um, Terry Hatcher is Stacy. She of Lewis and Clark, New Adventures of Superman fame. Lois Something and Clark. else. Yeah. Oh, did I say Lewis? Oh, you did. Lois and Clark. I was I was being too, I, I, I like made it too punny. But that's also something that I remember was a big deal when I was a kid and never really watched it. But it's, that seems like it's sort of fallen through a memory hole a little bit, right? Like with all of our superhero nostalgia and everything. Why why, why are we not talking about this show? Yeah. Well, I think it's funny, too, because I feel like Terry Hatcher, the, re- the time I realized she was a big deal was because of Desperate Housewives. Right. Of course. Of course. And it's sort of funny. I don't know. I mean, we we certainly have this still, but it's, it's, it's funny to think of her as like strictly a television star. Mm-hmm. She never really, like, expanded to movies, I don't think. Right. Not right. meaningfully, anyway. Um, right. But this is, like, early days. She hasn't done Lois and Clark yet. Um, she hasn't been on Seinfeld yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is – she's still relatively unknown, which, you know, I think is worth pointing out since uh, since Tales from Crypt likes to pepper in some, some famous people here and there. Right. Although, but I think usually people that you, it seem to kind of come about t- towards the beginning of their career, or at least the people that you and I want to talk about are at the beginning of their careers here, just because we're not, you know, aficionados of 70s and 80s television, exactly. Yeah. Also, there's never going to be like a middle-aged woman on any of these episodes. Heck no. Heck, Heck no. no. Who wants to see a side boob of someone over the age of 30? Not me. <laughs> That's why I close my eyes when I get dressed in the morning. <laughs> And then finally, just keeping with the through line a little bit, Kyle Secor is Devlin Cates. He was he of homicide life on the streets, city slickers. Oh, man. Drop zone. Huh? Huh? Drop zone. Criminally underrated. Wesley Snipes. Skydiving. Action. Extravaganza. And he was in the pilot for Crossing Jordan. So you see, see this recurrent? It's coming I, through. It's I a Crossing Jordan it. theme. Just lines within lines. My, my whole my whole office is just covered with a big map board with red <laughs> yarn just connecting them. <laughs> connecting everything to Crossing Jordan. And he also um, was famous for um, portraying a recurring patient with AIDS on St. Elsewhere. Hmm. What about Laird? Yeah, and then... <laughs> There's a character in this episode called Bohunk, who is the stupid big in Japan um, action star or maybe fashion icon who is in sort of throwaway character in a uh, in the photo shoot at the beginning. But he is played by someone named Laird McIntosh, <laughs> who I did not find much uh, especially uh, uh, notable about him, but he does have a very fun name both in character and out of character. I also did not follow at all his like beer can joke. And I feel like it was one of those times where they're like, he's so dumb that this is what's happening. And you're like, you need like something there. Yeah, so I can yes, at least see what he's going for. Well, you don't like the fact that, that he's really like, dumb? what if I held up my other hand? It was like, party down. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't necessarily think one hand is like more festive than the other. I guess I, is what I, I'm saying. I don't know. You never know. Could be. He's well, huge in Japan. This episode deals in some... What Light I would racism. Call soft and you might call hard Japanese racism there. <laughs> As it cuts to like four very stereotypical Japanese businessmen who are just like, oh yeah, oh it's great. We love it. The Japanese are taking over the world. I think it's soft. They because make great electronics, folks. I think it's I think it's soft because the uh, editor clearly cut out any scene where they spoke. And yeah, I'm sure yeah, that no, that right, was extraordinarily right. racist. It's kind of the part of media where it was it'd be really funny to see a man like an American white dude 
businessman have to interact with Japanese businessmen. And they could have like, like, a, like a jokey scene where it's like who bows or shakes hands and how does it work? And neither yeah. guy knows how to do the other guy's thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like yeah. the ultimate upshot is, you know, that the American businessman has to respect the Japanese businessman because they're the future. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the, the American businessman is a little bit like, what the hell? <laughs> Like and that and we're supposed to find that relatable, <laughs> so that's cool. <laughs> we're supposed to be like, oh man, what if they serve me sushi? Wah wah. Yeah, the American businessman who is only slightly more culturally competent than um, Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> the the American businessman who is is so cool that he's banging his secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Carry on. All right, so All right. That, that's what's going. That's what's yeah. going on with the with the personnel in this pick. That's right. You got it. All right, Boss. let's di- let's dive in. Let's dive in as we always do. What's the moral of this tale? I think the moral is, if you're being abused psychologically or physically by your fiance, who's also your agent, and a weird photographer meets you for the first time and is like, "Here's keys to my place. You want to come over and just be safe? It's fine." And then he gives you an amulet that he got from a blind woman (laughs) and swears to always protect and take care of you that you're good because his dead corpse will will always show up just in the nick of time. Well, I think it's kind of a one and done kind of thing. He's kind of like a K cup. You think so? I mean, I did wonder about this. Like, like, is she going to have problems with the rest of her boyfriends? (laughs) He does write she's mine in blood, which is chilling, but maybe not in the right way. Yeah, this is a this is a little bit of a morally sticky. I I don't fully disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, ultimately, like, like, like I, I'm being. Kind, yeah, you're kind being of, you're being kind of here. flippant, but but yeah, the the moral is basically something along the lines. It, it's sort of a love conquers all, or like being a being a good guy will beat being a bad guy. I I really I really had some like weird stuff here because I think I think I mean obviously. Um, Bruckner, uh, mm-hmm. the abusive right. agent, is the bad guy. Like, he's so terrible. And so I think the moral has to be about him. But then the only thing I could really light on that was, like, any of any substance is you can't just murder people and dump them in a shallow grave without exp- in in close proximity to a place <laughs> that you plan on visiting later without expecting right. you first come to your your cabin where you bring your your now ex I assume yeah. maybe the well, I assume the engagements off and then tie her up and casually make reference to the fact that you plan on sexually harass or se- that you plan on raping her before murdering her <laughs> yeah basically i think it's like you can't just murder people without expecting some fallout which i, uh, I think is a, a pretty gentle moral <laughs> Well, let's also just agree. His murder plan is a mess. So, right, yeah. he 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 follows her to to Kate Devlin's place. He videotapes them like like in a trip. I assume making love. Um, he, oh God! <laughs> no, no, because I, I I rewatched it this evening and noticed that in the really grainy, weird black and white videotape, you see that he sort of takes her shirt down. So, okay. Anyway, so he videotapes him for reasons that don't really okay, whatever. And then he. He arranges for Devlin to be murdered by him, uh, which is something we see at the beginning of the episode. There's a weird flashback, flash forward thing, which we can talk about in a second. And uh, then then when Devlin has not returned her calls for a week, he's like, go check out his place. Just see what's going on. When she goes there, she discovers that, of course, he has melted ice cream like he was called away all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden, the agent is there and he grabs her and is like, I'm going to. I, I don't. He says something terrible, like "I'm gonna get you, you bitch," or something he like that. You know? He basically is like, "You couldn't, you couldn't just leave it alone." Oh no, right, no, right, I gotta right. murder you. Right. So, <laughs> it's so, like, right. It's like and so then he track. ties her up in the cabin, and he's gonna, and he's doing the like having light banter in between, like screaming at her, like th- that is done much better in the previous episode of Tales from the Crypt. And but you're just kind of like this guy's murder plan is is a total mess, right? Like, so his plan was to say go to his apartment. But he doesn't stage the apartment or anything. Is this like a weird, like, is this giving him permission to murder her? Was he planning on murdering her the whole time? I, th- like I, think, the- I think he was setting a classic, a classic murder trap. I mean, but then, then, right, when he's being, po- well, then when the boyfriend, the boyfriend, I don't know, that's maybe not right. Devlin Cates rises from the grave as like a revenant zombie. Um, 
the the shovel that he buried it with is there right by the topsoil. So he's not even covering that up. This guy no, is no, no, messing. It's I been there the for cabin, a week. He's I, a mess at doing murder plans. I think that the cabin, I mean, that, that should have been obvious <laughs> from the fact that he, like, shoots people and buries them in close proximity to each other. He's creating his own little graveyard. That's that's never a good idea. But, right, yeah. I mean, what's really weird about this and what muddles up. So, I, I mean, I think the moral has to be about him. He has the he he is ultimately brought down by a larger force. <laughs> But at the same time, I don't think that it's not necessarily saying you shouldn't, like, adultery is bad. And I think that that's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, do you think that do you think that we're we're meant to think that that like I like I would agree that it's 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 creepy and it feels bad when um, uh, it just certainly uh, as a modern viewer, when. Uh, Devlin appre- approaches uh, Terry Hatcher's character and is like, you know, does he get does he get rough sometimes? Here's here's key to my place, and <laughs> I'm just kind of like, this seems very inappropriate. <laughs> this seems kind of weird and white knighty and preying on her. I I wonder if contemporary audience contemporary audiences for this would have felt that way, or if they would have been like, what a super nice guy. <laughs> I, I also go back and forth on this. I feel like this story is almost too sparse to make like a perfect judgment call. Sure. So I, yeah. I have I, I kind of have two different things that I will present and we'll see what you make of it. So yeah. I, I think that we this is very stylistic and it's almost the style is almost like there's like there's a it's very I would say like late 80s. There's mm. a lot of sunsets. There's a lot of Miami sounds. There's a lot. Of, there's a heavy, crazy like John Carpenter synthy soundtrack. Oh, yeah, I, thought, I thought it was kind of Blade Runnery, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The music yes. is cool. The way it looks is cool. She has like this giant photograph of herself framed in a neon heart in her house. In, it's, in their weird house where everything is white. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I kind of like the way this looks. And then there's this. So it does kind of make sense that you have that scene where um, Kate's and Stacy and it, and it does bother me that she is not given a last name. Um, maybe she's have, like Madonna. Maybe. No, she's just she's just considered lesser than the men have yeah, this like weird. Well, I mean, she's the future Mr. Bruckner, Mrs. Bruckner. So. Right. So she doesn't need a last name. So yeah. she comes into his I thought it was like his studio that he was. I yeah, thought he but was it's like, like his studio that he also lives in. That he's I mean, like he's eating sleeping. a TV he's, dinner in. Yeah, he's sleeping with his weird pile of mush and like a new castle. Weird. And then he stands up and he's like, oh, time for romance. And he like steps on that floor plunger to turn on the sunset. It's and then exactly you have, like it's exactly like in Singing in the Rain. When, <laughs> I have that as a note, too. Yeah, he sets the scene. He basically I, I just, is, all I keep thinking whenever I think of Singing in the Rain is poor Debbie Reynolds. Who oh, is Carrie God. Fisher's mama, who is friends with Miguel Ferrer. Sorry, I'm looking at my conspiracy board again. Six degrees of, of, of crypts is what we're that's doing. Right, that's right, Yes. But Gene yeah, it Kelly is, is, it is very singular. It's very, like, classically romantic and highly right. tender. And, like, so I think that they're trying to kind of set it up to be above reproach. But then I feel like it gets muddled up. Like, I don't think we're supposed to feel that bad that Kate's dies. Right. Well, it's all okay. And it's also weird that the way this is structured and I kind of liked it at first, the episode opens. Well, I mean, the episode opens with the Crypt Keeper looking at pornography, but um, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> um, uh, can we agree that play dead is a great is a great name for a for a the, 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 the amount porno of, mag that caters to the undead. The amount of, of punnage on that, like obviously pre photoshopped magazine cover is wild. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, yeah, but, but anyway, we open up on seeing um, Miguel Ferrer murdering, um, Bo- uh, murdering uh, Kate's. Yeah. Well, we no, see no, him, he's driving, no, no. he's upset, he gets out of the car. I thought uh, we opened on him murdering someone else. No, it's him. It's him. We see him murder her, murder him. Yeah, it is. It is. I had to watch it. I had to watch it twice. Oh, I thought it was it's just him. another random dude. So we know dude. that he kills him. We know he kills him. He does the, you know, is that another shoulder for you to cry on? And shoots him. And he says he's radiating lots of cop energy here. I want you to remember one thing when you go to hell, you miserable piece of shit. She's mine, not yours. He also has an awesome uh, earring. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole. Then, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's what ha- we see the long form of what happens later 
when he calls him and says, she's at the cabin. I need you to help. You know, you need Got to help her out. It. I thought that was other some other rando dude. And I was like, yeah, oh, no, so no, Stacy's stepping out on him constantly. No, it's just a strange thing where we like start with a bang, but then we like go backwards. And I don't know if I'm an idiot, but like, I don't really see what that served. Like, how does that? They probably they it probably doesn't create dramatic irony. We're not like it doesn't make we're not like later like, oh, he thinks he won't get killed, but maybe he will because it's it's too sparse and it's too fast. He's he's dead like less than 10 minutes later. Um, probably what it is, is someone yelled um, Sunset Boulevard before doing a massive rail of cocaine. And then they were like, that's what we're doing. Yeah. One hundred percent. I did. I, so I've seen this a couple. I've seen this a bunch of times. I've seen this at least four yeah. or five times. And so, but on the, and it took me, and I've been grappling with what the moral is this mm-hmm. whole time. Yeah. And I think on the last watch, I finally zeroed in on um, on something that Bregner says to him in that opening sequence, which which maybe starts to hint at this, mm-hmm. but what or what I ultimately decided the moral is. But the, the problem with this is that Bruckner is too villainous to like support a proper moral. Like you're just mm-hmm. kind of wait. It's like a waiting game for him to get his comeuppance. Right. And, right. And so like. Any sort of like contrapasso or morality would like help that, but it's pretty much devoid of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of like a mood piece ultimately. But then I focused in on he says right before he's like, you remember? He's like, I would have gotten you a gravestone, and then he makes this crazy like like yeah, uh, segue on stone, yeah. Yeah. He's and like, then they argue about the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and then and then he argues about the Ten Commandments while he's pressing a gun into a guy's solar plexus, and he's like, yeah adultery's a sin and he's like so is murder and then Bruckner's like I'm gonna murder you anyway and it he's happens like, I don't give a shit yeah. yeah yeah and I think it's sort of I think what's what struck me about it is maybe it's like Bruckner has started to write his own moral code and in typical uh Tales from the Crypt fashion um a larger older natural law is going to rise up and fix that and fix Mm -hmm. this moral code that he is writing for himself. That's why you have this like weird Mayan blind woman amulet of like honesty and perfection and pristineness, right? Like it's just weird. So that's what I think. I think that's what I think it's it's about. I mean, that must be the original story, but what a muddled device, right? Bizarre. Because this could be like a, you know, love conquers. I mean, like I don't, this thing to me felt very um, Greece two ish almost like he's kind of the he's the cool rider. He's back from the grave to save his like even even the grave can't keep him from taking care of his baby, honey, the woman he loves, the woman who is an object and narrative device mostly. Um, so I actually read the original story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, because I thought I this not. was really weird yeah. and I mostly wanted to read it and be like, Wait, is Bruckner like, is this for children? Is he going to, and what I wanted to know about is, is he intending on raping her in the story? Oh, uh, sure. The answer is no. So the uh-huh. story is really weird because it's very 1950s-ish. Basically, it's a woman who has two boyfriends uh-huh. and Bruckner is like, I will, you, I, you, I want to be your only boyfriend. And she's like, but I have this other boyfriend. <laughs> but I'm Polly. It's the 50s. <laughs> exactly. And so... So Bruckner, <laughs> Bruckner does not. It, the death is much less violent. He does kill the other guy. He does bury the other guy, and then his plan is to make her mine forever. He like ties her up in a cabin, then sets the cabin on fire, and then okay. the Stacy character, whose name is something like Polly, screams, and that is what wakes up the other guy. Right. And he crawls out of so he crawls out of the grave, and then he carries Stacy out like Forbidden wait. Planet style. I get you. Wait, wait, stand by. So he, when he says make him hurt, he's not like trying to do some fake Omeko rescue thing, and she'll love him forever. He he is trying to kill her by no, no, burning no, no, no. down the cabin she's in. The 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 other guy, the yeah, the, the Kate's character. Yeah. Is the one who carries her out of the cabin. Right, I got it. I, but I'm Bruckner just saying, he, is like, trying to burn her to death in a cabin. Uh, I understand. Yeah, yeah, okay, got it. And then and then the guy grabs and then the the zombie guy grabs Bruckner and then they bury him and then that's the end. Yeah. So it's very it's very strange. It's it's completely it, it, it's, it's baffling. <laughs> completely totally different, but equally bizarre. It's a bizarre like the, mm-hmm. it, there is no 
in trying to understand the morality, I was like, well, this is like these people like seem to kind of live in like a cesspool. So like maybe that's part of it. That's totally not in the original story. Mm-hmm. It's very it's like whistle clean. It's like if Archie comic attempted to do this story. <laughs> very strange. So what you're really saying is it's like if, if it's like if Veronica finally killed Betty. <laughs> And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Decided yeah. to kill Archie, but then Betty's, yeah. Exactly. Sort of an afterlife with Archie spin-off alternate take. In both stories, um, whatever intended moral is there, um, is not what the intended moral should be, which is of course how one should go about helping people who are involved <laughs> in, in abusive relationships, relationships <laughs> escape that safely. That's not really touched on at all. <laughs> I mean, wait, well, so you're saying that like being like, would you like a key to my place? And would you be interested in my penis? Would you be interested in having some sex with me in exchange for a key to my place? Mayan jewelry you might want to (laughs) wear. I have something I would like to bestow on you, which might become important later. Yeah, Yeah, it's very, it's very weird. It's very white nighty. He takes as much ownership over Stacy basically immediately, which makes me feel like, wait, am I yeah. supposed to think that he's abusive too? But that's like totally, right. I think, yeah, a modern no, no, read. It's not. We're, yeah, we're supposed to be like, what a what a swell guy. Yeah. So here's where I'm going to ambush you. Yeah, I'm ready. Who is the main character of this story? Oh, man. I mean, it's um, so I think that it's set up in a way where you're supposed to feel like um, – uh, Stacy is like the main character, but obvious. But I think the main character is um, is uh, Bruckner. Yeah, um, I agree. And, I think... just, and that might just be because like Miguel Ferrer is like acting circles around everyone else in this episode. It's true. Like, and and everyone else is given is like hobbled. Stacy doesn't even have a last name, and I right. think has the least <laughs> the least screen speaking screen time of any of all three of these right, people. Right, right, and, and again, yeah, the nature of the story. She she is an object. She's damsel damsel in distress. She, yeah, it's. I, I almost want to be like Terry Hatcher. It's not your fault. I don't think it is her fault. I don't think that her acting yeah. is bad, but I think she's like given like nothing to work with. She's not the main character of the story. Yeah, and it's I not. Mean, and most it's not of ca- my notes, maybe I'm. It's probably because I'm a terrible man, but most of my notes are about like what she's wearing and funny, like funny '90s things about her. Yeah, I think she's actually like she comes off as like fairly charismatic, but she's the things she's made to do make her like not really unsympathetic because she's loathsome, but just unsympathetic because you're just like no one would do that. Well, she she also yeah she has very little agency. I mean the the only I guess the only two decisions she makes both involve going to Devlin Cates's apartment studio or whatever it is his loft. Yeah. Yeah, and and eventually she unties herself at the end. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which I guess is better than put some than... clothes on, on top of that '90s tastic lingerie she's wearing. Weird. Yeah. Um, I also do like I like the hat when she when she lets herself into Devlin's place. Oh yeah, yeah. When she's dressed like Blossom. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. I love that hat. Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely and and then Kate's. I'm not even sad really when he dies. No, no. Well, I mean, and and to be fair. Our reading is that he is kind of, uh, he's kind of loathsome. He's just presented as just very bland. I mean, even I don't if, think that. Yeah, even if we're you not, don't we're think not, he's We're not loathsome. supposed to be like, yeah, we're not, you're not supposed to not feel anything when he dies because he's, because he's also like an abuser and an opportunist. That, that That's entirely our projection. He's just, he's just like barely a character too. Just sort of yeah. blandly nice giving women haunted jewelry. Yeah, exactly. And he's a, he's a, he's a. A plot point, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he has to die so that there is an a, a, there is a zombie, so that the best part of this episode can happen, mm-hmm. basically. Um, which I think I think that's why this is so weak, honestly. So like this story, if you mapped it out bare bones, could be really really similar to um, to Three's Company, right? <laughs> wait, hold on. So, so wait, wait, the... wait, wait, no, no, no. Three's a crowd. The episode oh. we did. Yeah. Before, oh, okay, yeah. Like, I, was, I was like, hold on, hold on. Which one? <laughs> so, so who's trying to keep catching them having three ways? Who's doing that? Which one? Is the zombie? <laughs> <laughs> no. So this is very much like three's a crowd. So you have, but, but the reason three's a crowd works is that you have sort of this like unhinged character and you like follow that journey with them. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel bad for Bruckner at all. Or no, like Br- Bruckner is like literally a monster. <laughs> yeah, he's so weird. So I feel like that like it's very detrimental to the story entirely. And I, yeah. I I don't even think that it's like an issue of because we watched other episodes that I've enjoyed that had like less profound morals, right? 
Usually right. the morals are not profound. Well, and and I, I would almost go so far as to say the moral. I mean, like we're we're grasping hard for a moral because that's sort of tales from the crypts uh, deal deal. But I mean, the moral here is basically like, hey, look at this story. Look, look at this messed up story. And, but not even in a like leering way, just sort of a like, eh, you know, and then the zombie boyfriend, of course. The yeah. end. You, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, here's a here's a allegedly scary story. <laughs> I feel like that. I feel like the story is detrimental because Stacy is not the main character. Yeah. And it seems like it's very, it's like a chosen part of the narrative that she's not going to be the main character because they cast her in a damsel in distress role, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is very, which is very strange. Well, it's just funny because I think horror film in general, like American horror, just horror film in general has a sort of, um, a strong and older tradition of strong female protagonists, um, if only because, you know, it's the final girls. Women. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, like, does she kind of but could she sort of be a final girl in this situation? I don't know if that that would involve a very different episode where, like, maybe the zombie is also toxic. And I mean, if you were remaking this, right, if you were doing this, for, it could be fixed. You're right, you, you make the zombie then wants to, you know, the, it, this sort of becomes the end of uh, then the zombie grabs her. And then he says, you're mine. She's like, right, I'm, not she's like she's like, I'm not anybody or whatever. Yeah. You know? I yeah. am my own person. <laughs> we are not things. And then it becomes Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She, um, shaves, she shaves half her hair off and gets a robot arm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, and that's because that's because so damsel in distress is a classic literary theme, right? Mm-hmm. It extends into everything, um, and usually, usually it's a it's a, a pivotal point of a hero's quest, which I think is also why it's a weird choice here. This is not like a hero's journey kind of story. There right. is no hero here, not even and and like not even not even from like a goofy perspective. Like Bruckner is not a hero here; he's just an obsessed man. Like I don't I don't get it. Well, so and, and people don't really have arcs either. I mean, it's, it's you can't even do like it's like a reverse heroes. It's not even that. Like he's he's a he's a he's a slimy agent, uh, or he's, he's a slimy agent and a, and a bad abusive boyfriend, as is sort of chillingly alluded to later, where he can't express myself, and sometimes I use things that that aren't right you're like oh my gosh but it's clearly trading on this like her passivity um having this having like a clear so like a damsel in distress is usually part of a hero's journey because it separates who the good guy is from the bad guy the bad Mm. guy wants to rape the damsel and the good guy wants to save her and then marry her so that he can consensual sex with her well and then then so he can rape her yeah Yeah, do the thing that you're supposed to do um And she has to be beautiful and sort of helpless and like in a dire state so that we can like separate the white hats from the black hats. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see this all the time in everything. Yeah, and, if, and it's like, uh, I, I mean, you know, right. If, if you if you want to argue for Star Wars, you know, like Princess Leia is a pretty kick butt uh, damsel in distress. So maybe maybe we can't totally sink the entire like literary device. But it, it gets lazily used in pretty reductive and bad ways generally. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and, and the things I the, this is kind of the case here. Yeah. And, and the things I like, too, like I would argue that uh, Princess Buttercup in Princess Bride is a pretty passive princess. Mm-hmm. She is a narrative device so that Wesley can prove that he is better than Humperdinck, as if their mm-hmm. names would not imply that already. <laughs> and then like... Uh, <laughs> Twilight is classic for this. Snow White is classic. Most Disney classic mm-hmm. princess movies are like when, this when, when they're not when they're not deliberately trying to like uh, subvert the trope. Yeah, when they are when they're not going out of their way to like win a like a good guy award right. and pat themselves hard Doing on a real the back Devlin about it. Kate's kind of move. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I, like I, this is incredibly reductive for well, women. And- and it it, it it it's highlighted throughout, right? We see her, for the very first time we see her, she's part of that hilarious James Bond photo shoot and is is passive and objectified, right? Because she's a she's she's being a model and is sort of existing uh, certainly under the male gaze. You have Kate's there with that phallic like like belly camera thing that you only ever see in movies and stuff. And uh, you know, Don't you know the most flattering angle to shoot someone is just like slightly above their navel. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brockner's there. Turn sideways, baby. Give him a little taste of that butt. Great. Give him a little taste of butt. Butt. Yeah. Woo. Well, you um, know. And, and but, but even- just to say, you know, right, like she's 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 sort of presented as like an object of of 
adoration and male pleasure sort of from the beginning and you know well the crypt keeper's introductory monologue is looking at a girly mag and then he has this like bizarre segue i, ble- I believe it's a ghoulie mag it's a ghoulie mag yeah he's looking at he's looking at naked naked crypt I mean, let's, creepers. let's be real the crypt keeper is enjoying pornography and likely masturbating which when we, when we which open up on him, itself, which is which is good good for him, right? As long as he's not hurting anybody. And I'm I'm sex I'm sex positive for ghouls, fine. But then what's weird is he's like, I'm looking at this because we're about to see this episode because some guys just die over a pretty girl, and you're like, wait a minute, what? That doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work at all. No. And then he's like, but don't worry, this is not a kissing book. It's going to have a creepy end, basically. It's like, it's like, so like those things are wild. I feel like, I feel like somebody had, somebody had like a bunch of like loose ideas for what this opening monologue was going to be and uh, print it with like each line printed on a different piece of paper and no page numbers. And they dropped it down the stairs and they were like, oh, well, okay. Top three. Yeah, Done. I'm pretty sure. I bet they really had. They just had like a fishbowl with like little things written on folded scraps of yeah. paper, and they're like, "Oh, okay, this is the Crypt Keeper pornography masturbation." Okay, good. Oh, it starts. We need to start with the Crypt Keeper um, reading pornography. All right. Well, how does that <laughs> Play connect to this? Oh, uh, that, that, that gets. I chuckle every time I see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just good value. Um, so it's really weird. So it kind of it like it sours you on like the concept of this quote unquote love from the get go, mm-hmm. um, and makes and makes it feel sort of like the the weird deeply romantic singing in the rain love between Kate's and Stacy feel really unearned and yes. weird. And, and then and then you're like, okay, maybe they're gonna trade on abuse or um, the idea of like it's LA, everything's superficial and terrible. But oh, no, wait, that, there's no payoff. There's none there of either. that either. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> it's just really weird choice. So I tried to think about I tried to think about what what damsels in distress usually galvanize in a story, mm-hmm. and my initial thought was generally we do it as, um, and I was trying to like make a connect with like the movie biz and generally like damsels in distress are put in scary situations because, and they, they symbolize corruption of property and looming outside influences threatening the American way. Right. Like King Kong and birth of a nation are that kind of story. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but that doesn't really work here either. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like, or at least there's not enough. There's not enough to support that here. Um, so I kind of feel like where it lands is like a halfway point between like rape fear, where damsels in distress generally like trade on that, yeah, but then, right. but then, but they they take it away from like female fear of rape and then they make it about men which is why horror movies generally like the last girl is so pivotal and empowering because that's the woman taking back her own like fear of being violated and then inflicting sure. violence on her um aggressor that's why yeah. those things are good that doesn't happen here this is like firmly in the the the, the arena of the men are going to sort it out while the woman stands by right so it, it, it's like a yeah, it's like some sort of like terrible chivalric uh, romance where it's like there's the black knight who has the woman in the tower and he's like beating her up and raping her or whatever. And the white knight shows up and we're all like, oh, the white knight's here. It'll be great. They profess their undying love. Then the black knight kills the white knight. Ooh, subversion. But then that then he's, you know, leering at the woman. But check it out. White knight not actually dead. Kills the black knight. The end. Solved. Happy. So it's like, you know, it's sort of only it's the most bare bones and the most like <laughs> like the, the the most simplistic and unsatisfying uh uh deconstruction you can imagine where it's like oh faked you out yeah it's sort of um i never really considered this until i started reading about damsels in distress but they pointed out that like um stage magicians trade on this oh yeah my sure. lovely oh, assistant yeah. and they're called uh generally my lovely assistant in the biz is called the target girl and the idea <laughs> is that you're like Worried about her, but not worried enough about her to like to like rush the stage. <laughs> this you is know? sick. I'm calling the police on this show. You take that woman out of the guillotine right now. <laughs> but right, but also isn't that so telling of our society that we're like we're like of course it's like a young pretty woman I mean, dressed scantily. Even, 
Right. And, and even then, I mean, even the, the last girl sort of trades on that too. I mean, in a sense, I think that it's we, we, the idea of a, uh, uh, of a woman being hurt or menaced with violence is in some way more upsetting than if if it was a beefy football player or something. Well, sure, of course, the, the vulnerability of it. But a target girl also, we're not supposed to really think about them as a person, right? Yeah. yeah. So, or, or 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 we're like, oh yeah, yes, of course, the woman. Yes, right. Yes, my lovely assistant. Yeah, don't don't cut the woman up with the saw, please. Don't do that. Yeah, don't <laughs> yes, cut the woman up with the saw. But also, like, she's yeah. less of a person than you are, the magician, because you are the the more you have the agency in the situation. Or me, the viewer, I'm not going to let her person get in the way of my enjoyment. So or or like whenever they're like explaining how magic tricks are done and they're like, and it turns out the assistant is the one who does a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Some bimbo in high heels. She knows how to do magic. God, yeah. <laughs> the worst. But that that for to, to realize that I think that they they not only they not only made Stacy a damsel in distress to make the story work, they also made her like a like a target girl stage magician damsel <laughs> in distress. It's just like so weird. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. And I, and I think they do it because the whole point of this is getting around to the only really good part of this episode. Mm-hmm. which is a magic trick, which is that guy getting buried alive. Um, apart, so apart from like the stylistic stuff, definitely the burying alive stuff is the best. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a genuinely, genuinely creepy and truly stunning death. One of the better deaths I think we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Generally, people sort of die in Tales from the Crypt and like, they, like someone will like whack them on the head with something or they get like stabbed in the back and they're like fully dead immediately. And season one is all axes and electrocution, really. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of same old, same old at this point. But this is this is novel and I think pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I agree that the zombie. I like that the zombie is, uh, of course, practical effects. He's got that rictus grin and there are the bugs in his face. That's great. Super good. The special effects are super good. I think that we at this point should just accept that all the special effects are going to be pretty good from here on out. Yeah. <laughs> We're um, going to put put you on notice. The special effects are great unless we say they aren't. Well, I mean, like, but like when I say, so I felt like that for me really helped um, till death do us part or till death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Like that was like such a, such, it was so spectacular. It's not like that level yeah, of spectacular. This, yeah, this isn't spectacular that way, but it's, it's, it's not still like pre- that. It's still pretty good. It's, but it's, it's, it's very a competent. rubber mask. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's very it competent. Good. Yeah, so did a good job with the lighting and stuff. But and then they do that awesome hand chop with the shovel, where he chops his fingers off with the shovel. That looks that looks that's sufficiently gross, and he writes from the blood. That's fun. Um, yeah, I do like that as he's being buried. Ruckner says, "I'm not dead. What are you doing?" Yeah, no, I loved. I also liked that the zombie is like holding him in a bear hug while he buries them both alive. That yeah. is. That is something special. Yeah, I we learned. Like. We, we kind of learned that like zombies, it would seem sort of can just like move through the earth like a worm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, it's 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 there. It's like you know, they're like it's written. The, the, yeah. They're in the. It, they're like fish in water. You know, mm-hmm. right. zombies but are of the ground. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, that's their natural habitat. They can come above ground, but they really do best in the ground. And as and 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 really, you know, being buried alive is something that we've been terrified of that's been that's been like a problem forever and yeah, anybody f- who's spent any time listening to lore knows i think about half those episodes are about being buried alive yeah and every time they introduce them they make it sound like it's the first time they've suggested that um <laughs> now, here's the thing guys people really freaked out about being buried in the ground people are though it is a it is a phobia so it's called taphophobia mm-hmm. the fear of being buried alive um and what's really f- and basically the better medicine becomes, the less people are afraid of this. There are still people who are afraid of it, and of course, it's like existentially terrifying to be buried uh, before your time. Wasn't like the 19th century like the peak of like people having bonkers schemes to make sure they weren't accidentally buried alive? Yeah, or, like, or having graves with like escape hatches, so if it turns, if you wake up three days later, you can get out or whatever. Yeah, it's really more the early 20th century, but yes, like oh, okay. there was. Yeah. Yeah, like premature burial was very worrisome. Hey, I, um, I hear that happens to most guys, but I'm bum. I hear that happens to most boys and ghouls. Ah. But like there's some, but you know, even George Washington was afraid of this. <laughs> On his deathbed, George <laughs> his Washington. weird, weird uh, 
hippopotamus teeth clacking away. <laughs> I'm sure that they were in a. I'm sure they were in a water glass at his bedside. He was just gumming it out. But he said, "Please, please, play like a glass of rum or something." Sure, it was the past. Yeah, a tankard um, made out of a deer antler. But George Washington made all of his attendants promise not to bury him for two days. So he just got to lay there for two days before he got buried. So and they carried that George, out. George, snap out of it. Snap out of it, you old jokester. Do you think maybe he was like, <laughs> well, he faked his death once and wouldn't wake up for like a day. And he was like, oh, glad I did this test. Oh, man, two days. That was yeah. the way. Yeah. yeah. One day oh. is not sufficient. Ooh. What if I'm just really pooped? <laughs> 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 I'm glad I, I'm glad we ran this drill, you guys. So that was the eight. I mean, to be fair, that was the 18th century. But um, but there are a lot of cases of it. So um, in 1905, so he's not totally crazy. In 1905, um, an English reformer, William Tebb, collected accounts of premature burials. And he oh, found and he found 219 <laughs> cases of near live burials. Didn't at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, like, they're, they're like nailing the lid off the coffee. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've changed my mind. <laughs> uh, 149 actual live burials, mm-hmm. 10 cases of live dissection, and two Ooh. cases of awaking while being embalmed. Oh, my gosh. Yikes. Those people, like, what, how does that work? Because, right, this, okay, so this is the, the early, early 20th century. These people all just, like, whacked out on opium. Like I was just really drunk. Why did you cut my gut open? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. That's that. That's all I know about that. But that is yeah, that's yeah. tough. Um, the mind boggles to consider. You have to wonder when did they invent things like checking people's pulses? <laughs> Good ass question. See if he see if he fogs the glass with his breathing. I mean, I think that this just really points out that the the separation between being alive and being dead might be a little bit grayer than we think it was. Oh man, I I, I did a little bit of reading on this, and I don't remember the exact point but there was some case of someone who was buried alive and it was discovered like a couple days later when there were children playing in the cemetery and they heard screaming coming from the grave ah! and, and then they like went and fetched the you know the cops or whatever the fire department they sure. dug the thing up and the guy was dead <laughs> but oh. but only recently that's like something from a movie isn't it like just imagine how that goes down like a bucolic like you know welsh township or something and you just these kids are playing and then you just hear screaming yup terrible but and so i mean i mean that sticks with you so much so that there was a whole little cottage industry (laughs) um if you weren't if you weren't as if you weren't as powerful as george washington where they would just let you stink in your bed for two days um and people you know people really and and this basically came about because people were afraid that when people died that the disease that was in the dead person was going to get them like As if the disease was somehow contained in you when you were alive, but the second you were dead, it would be like, oh, I gotta, gotta find a new home. You're gonna bust out like a like a, like a plague filled pinata. Yeah, exactly. So like people were buried pretty quickly, and like right, we didn't have like huge, we didn't have huge refrigerators then, or right, they didn't have yeah. huge refrigerators then. So like you stunk. So they wanted to get you in the ground. You stank anyway. You especially stank when you died. So if you were not quite as powerful and slave owny as George Washington. Do you, think, um, do you think do you think if if we had like a time machine we brought George Washington forward he'd be <laughs> do you think he'd be kind of freaked out how obsessed with his false teeth um all of us are in the modern world. Well, Every probably, school child knows about his denture situation. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably just be like that's private. Jeez. <laughs> My teeth are private. He's like, I'd love to know I'd love to know about uh about George W. Bush's hemorrhoid situation if we're all so curious. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or the alleged wooden leg that Teddy Roosevelt had. And you're like, George, you deal in conspiracy theories? How do you know who Teddy Roosevelt is? Yeah, exactly. You're like, wait, you're, actually, you'd be like, George, don't you want to, like, know what a car is? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you mildly curious? Um, but there's invented. So if you were in George Washington, there was a whole cottage industry of, quote unquote, safety coffins for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that t- depending on how safe your coffin was, you got um, you, you know you got different you, the different prices, but like you know five point restraints, right, right, right. anti lock like, breaks. But like, so if you were George Washington, maybe you'd be put in a glass lid coffin so that people could watch you for a couple days. <laughs> you give like a thumbs down. <laughs> you'd be like, no, I'm having a bad time in here. Let me out. <laughs> 
Um, and then uh, <laughs> another popular option was uh, there'd be a rope in your coffin that would come up to the to the top level, and you would have um, a bell attached to it. This is uh, often cited as where "Saved by the Bell" came from, but I I don't believe that is actually true. Oh man! And then I'm just imagining like 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 Zach like Zach Morris in a coffin with a bell. <laughs> We're, wouldn't that Zach, have been a Zach great Morris would bear, actually would bury everyone else in the show in coffins yeah. like that. Yeah. The no, darkest. he would be he'd be trying to have a cottage industry selling people safety coffins. Also, let's talk about famous rapists. Zach Morris. Yeah, for real. Um and then the most elaborate of course would be having um the full kit, full kitted out where you have a breathing pipe um that would poke out of the ground like a sprinkler <laughs> well, and you I, could and you could breathe in it if you were buried alive and possibly shout to children <laughs> hey hey go find an adult <laughs> get the fire department i'm not dead great great for pranks was this a prank was this a prank situation um then i have like this whole long long list of things where this is uh this is uh, like who gets buried alive, and it, it does relate to this episode in kind of a weird way. But if you have something that you would like to wax poetic about being buried alive at this point, I think you should. Oh, I also read there's kind of a cottage industry now of people who want to have, like, buried alive experiences. Ew, and people why? Will like people to, like, confront their fears. So there are places that will... Uh, That's something that you should be afraid will, like, of. like, fake it up for you where you can be, like, buried alive for, like, 15 minutes. And, you know, it mm. feels like you're underground for three hours or... Stuff like that, um, sort of a sort of like I feel like it must be like a weird combination of like fear factor and those uh, sensory isolation tanks that you can you know go take a nap in. Yeah, and maybe like a little bit of escape room yeah, mixed yeah. in. <laughs> dab, escape dab room, but they're the like, escape room. But they're like, look, here's the deal: you can't escape. We're gonna yeah. put about we're gonna put about five hundred pounds of dirt on top of you. Bizarre. Yeah. No, I don't know. Um, you know, I. In my reading of it and everything, usually um, a lot of the buried alive historically, though, are not people who um, are not people who are buried alive accidentally. I mean, that's a more contemporary phenomenon. A lot of the time it was on purpose. Like this was a way of a, a terrifying way of killing people, uh, as is used in this episode. Um, Vestal virgins who broke their vows were buried alive or sealed in caves. The idea there being that uh, the Vestal virgins were all virgins. And if you were, you know, uh having sex with a man that you broke your vows. And so they would put you in a cave or bury you in the ground. And then if Vesta saw fit to forgive you, you could get out. So it was sort of execution and trial, uh, sort of, you know, one of those like uh, trial by, uh, by being buried alive. I don't know. Uh, sort no, of situations. It's, it's Divine abs- thing. Absolutely. I, I have that one as well. I actually just kind of did a little roundup. I found that the people who are most likely to be buried alive because uh-huh. so, there are a lot of ways to kill people in the past, especially and very inventive, usually for public consumption. <laughs> Axes, um, fire, wild horses, lions, ropes. But, but a lot of times the people that they wanted to bury alive were women or rapists, which is kind of interesting when you consider this particular story. So that's kind of cool. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's in Denmark, cool. in mm-hmm. Denmark, uh, Queen Margaret uh, said that if you were um, basically if you did anything wrong and you were female, buried alive. That would be the best. Is this like um, a weird like association of woman womanhood with the earth or something? And like I almost wonder. Demeter, I almost, like fertile womb and like the earth and sex and the earth and maybe I kind of thought it was sort of a thing where it was like it'd be like, like when well, I think about a vagina, I think about a bunch of dirt. <laughs> I mean, maybe I feel like it's almost a little bit like um, we're gonna cover like it's 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 a bad to show us killing women. It's it doesn't yeah, seem sure. great. Sure. So like let's keep it quiet. Um, and also, we didn't really kill the woman. We just put right. her in a situation and she died. Yeah, you think this might be a little bit? I mean, I feel like the other way that women seem to historically get killed a lot is by being burned alive. Yeah, like it's we, just we like let's like, just these, like elemental deaths. Yeah, let's just like kind of like make the lady go away. I think it's like that. So like um, in Denmark, <laughs> oh, man. that's so dark. Like, oh, did you rape a woman? Yeah, we let's not talk about it. Just cover it up. Are you a woman who's like, just cover it up? Like, what what woman? Huh? Yeah. Who? Well, and a lot of times executions were for public entertainment, and I think for it was sure. sort of yeah. maybe a thing where if you got to see that your your uh, oh, your yeah. no. rulers were beheading a lot of women, perhaps you would question that. 
that might bother you. Um, yeah. So like Queen Margaret, um, adulterous women were p- uh, punished by premature burial, um, but men were uh, publicly beheaded. That was the deal. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, I, I'm not saying that those aren't, you know, both equally terrifying ways to be killed, but those seem really arbitrary and funny. It's, I don't know, like, what, they don't, they don't, like, match in some sort of, like, charming or intellectually fun way. And then in the Middle Ages, it was really popular. The Middle Ages and uh, the Roman Empire is really popular if you committed rape, infanticide, or were a thief. And mm-hmm. a woman, you were, uh, there was like a, a 13th century law that basically was like, yeah, you're going to be buried alive. That's like the deal. Especially mm-hmm. if you committed infanticide, people were like, put her on the ground. That, I, that must have some sort of, because what I, I, I've, uh, uh, I guess it was actually really hardcore history. They have an interesting thing about public execution. And he posits based on his sources that in the Middle Ages, there was this idea of the execution was enact it was almost like a religious right you sort of enact it and by mortifying the body you mortify the soul and so like sort of a kind of like we're executing you for your own good and it, and so you get this sort of fun like symbolic logic and then later with the rise of nation states in the sort of uh, enlight- enlightenment and pre-enlightenment renaissance and stuff it kind of became more of like this is an exercise of state power so i think it kind of gets to both things that we're talking about you know sort of so you know uh, it, it becomes less mystical and more of a spectacle where it's kind of like, look what look what happens to traitors or look what the king can do or, mm-hmm. you, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and and even even now, I think it's kind of like that where it's where we, we say, you know, look what the state can do. We can kill people, but also we can kill people in a humane way like this. You know, why you know, why we're not using the electric chair or firing squads or whatever. Uh, it's sort of it it, it it becomes a story we tell ourselves about ourselves. Yeah, and I think that it's it really becomes um, later on. I found a bunch of examples that seem to imply that it's really about um, covering up the idea that a woman could stand against a powerful force, generally male dominated. Sure, sure. And yeah. put her in there, cover it over. Yep. Whereas, so in Germany um, mm-hmm. in the 16th century, it was really common for if you murdered your employee employer, like if you mm-hmm. were a servant, and you murdered your boss or your owner, I guess, um, <laughs> what they would do is they would publicly kill men, um, usually by uh, beheading them. Mm-hmm. But if you're a girl, what they would do is they would they would bury you alive. So, and there's a very famous case um, where this 12-year-old boy and this 13-year-old girl um, poisoned their master, the girl mm-hmm. who worked in the kitchen, yeah. and the boy was like his like cup bearer or something equally rapey sounding. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so they poisoned this guy and he died and the boy was publicly beheaded and the girl the morning of was buried beneath the gallows. So his blood would like drip down onto her grave as he like after he was beheaded. That's wild. So um, nuts and bolts when they're doing this, do they like put you in a bag or like, I mean, how does this work? They, they dig a hole, they like throw you down in the hole and it's too deep. You can't climb out and they just cover dirt on top of you. Yeah, they probably like I mean, tie you up and in, throw like, you in a dirt. Or something, are you? No, like, I don't. well, um, let's see if I have no, no, I don't have any information about that. Yeah, this so is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then in the Netherlands, uh, the in the 16th century, same time, the oh, Catholic ne- Netherlands, authorities- Netherlands must be low lying, harder to bury people. Alive. Well, but you Lots know what? Of groundwater. But you know, who it's likes- really more of a drowning situation. <laughs> but you know, you know who's a glutton for punishment? Catholics. So the, the Dutch, Catholic, Dutch Catholics, Dutch Catholics, so Catholics Catholic with a- wooden shoes. <laughs> so the Catholic authorities were getting splinters in their feet, stomping around, being like, "All these Protestants just have to go." <laughs> so get them out of here. So, um, so while as they would just like stab the men to death, tent if for heresy, if a woman was found guilty of heresy, they would bury her alive. That was the thing that they did down there with the tulips. Yeah. Yep. They were Ooh. like the tulip may the tulips bu- like burst from her from her ca- uh, chest cavity, um, and then a little bit later in the 17th century in um, feudal Russia, mm-hmm. um, they had this this charming practice called the pit that they used against women um, who were condemned for killing their husbands, and basically they would just bury you alive but in a mass grave. So that's oh, good. fun. Like- Maybe, yeah. maybe like the ground only thawed out, you know, like a couple months. <laughs> Just keep kind of hang on to all these women are like, okay, bring them in. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, but but don't worry. Russia is not as backward as one would think, because um, in uh, 1689, they decided that uh, this was pretty cruel. So they would just decided they were just going to lop people's heads off. Yeah, good. Well, it's 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 very equal. How progressive. How progressive. Russia, a progressive country. Yeah, I think traditionally, I, I remember this from uh, uh, one of our earlier episodes that uh, killing your husband was called petty treason. <laughs> And those people usually burned alive in uh, in Germany or uh, in Western Europe. Crazy, yeah. So I feel like it's kind of strange that we have this as as a yeah. As I, a, I, as... I had no idea that being buried alive was such a that that I had no idea that men like to bury women alive. Yeah, it's like it a feels thing. bad, man. So, it feels bad. Of of course. <laughs> Of course. And it seems to be sort of like a like an ownership thing. There's like a lot of weird stuff. Like when you dig into <laughs> you this. Know what I do when something something I own frustrates me. I bury it in the dirt. <laughs> Can't tell you how many iPhones I've buried. Um, Whenever my computer isn't acting, isn't, isn't acting right, I just show it the hole in the backyard I've dug for it. But it seems so it's so intense. I mean, like being buried alive is so scary and so in, like extremely yeah. cruel. Right. But like but then once they're in the ground, you can kind of like forget about them a little bit. And I think it's a weird thing where you have we have this story that centers around like an adulterous woman and this guy who and this this abuser. And it's almost like um, it's almost like Bruckner is like burying these guys as proxies for her adultery. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't get the sense that he's going to bury her alive in the story. Do you? No, I mean, he's got the gun and stuff. I mean, he's going to right right when he's there, like chatting with her with his little like murder kit. He definitely is like, you're tied to the bed. I mean, he doesn't say it exactly. Like this. He's like, he's you're, like tied you're tied to the bed. We're going to have some sex. You, then I'm going to kill you. And don't worry about your boyfriend because he's dead and rotting in the ground, too. I mean, I think he's going to bury her in the yard next to him. That's why the shovel's out there, right? Yes. Um, yes. But I, I don't think that he's going to put her in the ground. Raw, right. well, and, he did, and, and to be fair, he didn't bury um, Kate's alive either. He, no. he, sh- he shoots him like a couple times and he falls into the actually that's a great shot. He falls into the he falls into the grave and then the camera is from the grave and he throws dirt on and they do the classic thing where it like, you know, throws the dirt on and the camera becomes dark because, of course, it's there's dirt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Fun. No, I, it's, it's so it's an interesting it's an interesting parallel where that's like a that's a thing that we do all the time that they did all the time to punish women. <laughs> we're, we're regularly buried. <laughs> regularly buried like, people. files like no, Scully. The government's been burying adulterers alive for for Maybe decades since the Maybe Kennedy administration. They are, though. Do you have any wrapping up stuff? I'm pretty much done. Um, I thought this episode was fun that the zombie was the good guy. Um, the name feels a little bit misleading because they're like the thing from the grave. We know exactly who that guy is. There's never any yeah. uh, ambiguity as to what's happening. Um, yeah. This felt very re- the story felt retro and more retro than just the sort of 80s, 90s setting. It, it has. It seems feels more infused with sort of a 50s ethos. Um, uh, and I think that the romance, the, the, and the by idea 50s, of like, oh, go ahead. So you mean like 1650s, yeah, right? right? Yes. Yeah. 1450s. Um, <laughs> obviously, Cates is a stand in for a Renaissance painter and he's painting her as the Virgin Mary in a fresco yeah, for yeah, her yeah. abusive uh, fiance, who is also a cardinal. And yeah, no, but. The uh, zombies, the good guy, kind of kind of made me think. Felt sort of grease too, so I kind of felt it made me think about that and uh, splatter platters and things. I don't know. Just it, it had that that sort of thing, and I think that this episode is pleasing only sort of on a very surface level. Like it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to watch if you're not if you don't choose to engage with the subject matter because there are uh, visuals that, that that are that are fun, and if you. This felt to me actually to be very classically. I, I don't remember watching this as a child, but this is what the Tales from the Crypt episodes I remember from watching as a child were kind of like. In that, as a kid, I wasn't you know interrogating the gender dynamics of the story, but that it's just sort of like yeah, these people, and then there's like a little bit of stuff that might, that's, there's there's some smooching around, and then maybe there's a little bit of titillation. Oh, and there's killings and murder, and there's people running around with in, in bad suits with pistols, and yeah, and then like something horrifying sex, happens. Sex the and violence, and then and then at the end, something bad happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so for me, th- I think this is like a very surface kind of episode, and and, and on those merits. It's enjoyable and kind of worth a watch, but but as you point as as we have pointed out fairly exhaustively here, there's it's it's real shallow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you ready to rate it? I am. I am. Well, I, I'll I'll defer to you though, huh? Go ahead. 
All right. Like. This is getting my lowest Tell them the rating. Bad news. This is getting my lowest rating thus far, I'm pretty sure. And it's only because the only things I really liked about this um this episode were uh some of the aesthetics and the fact that it allowed me to research being buried alive as if I were Aaron Mankey. So I gave this one out of five spear guns. Oh. Well, I liked it maybe a little bit more than you did, but I, I, I feel like it's sort of like one for the story, half for her all white house and that 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 banana's heart, and like another half for um Miguel Ferrer like just, just being s- such a shit heel throughout. He his acting is very good. <laughs> yeah, he's like funny and mean and sort of a sort of an enjoyable way. So I give it uh, I give it two bohunks. Bohunk. Bohunk. Wow. So uh, next time um, we're going to be covering our second Tales from the Crypt movie. This is an unofficial Tales from the Crypt movie, but but we're going to be doing it anyway. And it's uh, Death Becomes Her from 1992. And we'll be bringing on special guest Andrew Crawford. Gosh, um, Mary, an unofficial movie and a special guest. It's we are. It's an embarrassment of riches. Looking forward to that. Yep. <clears throat> So thank you for listening to Crib Creepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Spotify, or any other platform that you use to listen to podcasts. Um, and if one of those platforms allows you to subscribe, rate, or leave us a review, please do those things. It really helps us out a lot. Um, also, be sure to visit our website, outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt-creepers. Um to see our ratings, check out old episodes, um, and maybe listen to some of the other podcasts from our from the Outrageous Mechanisms Network. Of course, if you're there, you can see our sh- um, our notes for this show, and there you'll find an Amazon affiliate link in the show description. Which, if you follow it and purchase something from Amazon, we get a little little financial kickback, which taste. we would enjoy. Which we would enjoy. Till next time, kitties. It turns out that Devlin was more than Mitch could handle. He forgot that photographers shoot people for a living, and sometimes <laughs> they cut off their heads. Was <laughs> <laughs> that for bad photography? I, I really liked it. <laughs> 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 Outrageous.